everybody. How's it going? Dan Schinder here. And I'm Steven Schinder. And you're watching Yes Shift, a dedication to the band Yes, and other prog rock news and things like that. And this is going to be a fun episode, part two of our series honoring first solo albums by Yes members from the time after they were in Yes. Right, yeah. And it just so happens that this is another one where... It just so happened to be their first official solo album. So last time we talked about Six Lives. This time we're talking about Two Sides of Peter Banks. And um, I feel like both of these album covers have like a similar sense of humor. Like you got Rick walking like just into the frame on the previous one. And this one you got Peter just having his arm around his around Peter. other self. Yeah. <laughs> Like two sides, and I, I love puns, so I really appreciate the like two sides thing, and you know, sides of an LP. Like uh, I dig it. <laughs> yeah, this is really cool. Um, before we start, I want to mention. Well, Steve and I don't really talk about this stuff a lot before we do an episode. We agree on an episode. We might have a little chit chat about it, and then he puts a bunch of notes together. And then this is like a very natural, organic conversation, as if I was talking to one of you, or as if Steve was talking to one of you that you never talked about it before. And on this one, Steve, I don't remember, I'm embarrassed to say this is what I thought was such a huge Yes fan since 1971. I don't remember ever hearing about this, um, let alone knowing about it. So we're going to give some context to when this came out. And what else was happening in the Yes and Prague world at the time? And while Stephen starts talking about that, I'm going to look over here because I've got the show up on the monitor to look at comments, questions. Feel free to chime in. This is your show, too. Tell us where you're watching from. I'm in Globe, Arizona, 100 miles east of Phoenix up in the mountains. And Steve is in Central California in Bakersfield. So, Steve, what was happening back then other than the fact that clothes were different and there were no such thing as CDs and, you know, give some context. Yeah. So everyone was getting high off their asses. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Not everyone. <laughs> <laughs> that is um, Wait, that's changed. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, this album was recorded November 1972 to June 1973. And from what I could find, it came out August 21st, 1973. So, uh, before it was recorded, you had Close to the Edge coming out in September of 72. Um, and speaking of which, I saw recently that Close to the Edge is like on the cover of Prague Magazine or whatever it's called. Oh, I haven't the, seen that. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. 50th anniversary and whatnot. Yeah. Um, and you also had the Genesis album Foxtrot coming out before recording started on this. Legendary. And Both of yeah, those albums so far. Legendary. Yeah, and by the time of its release, Selling England by the Pound came out, you know, another Genesis Legendary. album. Legendary, yeah. Yeah, then you get into March 1973, Dark Side of the Moon, and obscure Legendary. <laughs> you got Lark's Tongues and Aspic from King Crimson. Another one, Legendary. Yeah, and meanwhile, uh, Peter, since his departure from Yes uh, a couple years earlier, he formed a band called Flash, and the third album by Flash, titled Out of Our Hands, was recorded during the last couple months that 
he recorded this solo album. So that was like from April to June. So yeah, he was very busy during that time. And he even had a passion play, the Jethro Tull uh, album come out like a month before two sides of Peter Banks came uh, out. So there was a lot happening. Yeah. And passion play is my favorite Jethro Tull album. Same. And I think it's my favorite. Um, um, what's the word? Uh, epic where it's all one story. Is that the right oh, word, wow. Steve? Yeah, well, like a concept Yeah, album? concept, thank you. Yeah, it is my yeah. favorite concept album. It's magnificent. It, it really is. Um, I'd love to hear it re-recorded today with today's technology, although you'll rarely hear me say I'm interested in remasters and stuff <laughs> because I like how old albums, the technology is just part of the feel and the sound. Yeah. And that's definitely um, with Passion Play. But the drums just sound so dead, as if Barrymore Barlow was playing with mallets with the drums all to It just sounds, it's, but it fits. Anyways, that's a tangent we don't need to go on. The point is, is that this gives you some context. And, and the sad thing is, all of these albums were huge at the time. Most of them, or if not all of them, got even huger as time went on, yet this album we're going to talk about today really kind of got lost in the shuffle or unnoticed. And yeah, flew I, under the radar. Yeah, and, and I had not heard it till today. And I cannot wait to comment on it as we break this down. So, And I, I just want to mention uh, that uh, Robert Heckman says, I'm pretty sure that Peter Banks is the only former or current Yes member that he's never seen live that's really cool oh wow and robert's in port R newport ritchie florida a driver and seven iron from tampa that's a golf reference steve if, if you didn't know that's okay. cool thanks robert so steve where do you want to start you want to go through the tracks and break them down or, or it's totally up to you uh yeah we could go through the well, I'll list the tracks and we'll share our thoughts on them. Um, I, I was able to find a Rolling Stone review from back in the day, but we, really? we can save that for a bit later. Um, right. So on side A, you have Visions of the King, the White House Veil, which is which has the parts on the hill and Lord of the Dragon. And then you have Knights, which consists of the Falcon and the Bear. So again, there's like kind of that thing we've seen in prog rock where there are multiple parts. So like the little subtitles under the main title. Then you have Battles, Knights, Reprise, Last Eclipse. And then on side B, you have Beyond the Loneliest Sea, Stop That, and Get Out of My Fridge. Um, all in all, it's 41 minutes and 17 seconds. Um, so yeah, I have thoughts on each of these, but like, how, how do you want to start this? I, I think I want to start by saying how surprised I am by it, number one. Um, if I may, I'd like to mention some of the other players, because that'll help give context to some of my other comments. Is that all right? Yeah. Okay, so we've got um, Jan Ackerman um, on electric and acoustic guitars on several tracks. Steve Hackett plays on one track. Ray Bennett plays bass on four tracks. Or I'm sorry, five tracks. John Wetton plays bass on uh, one track. Mike Ho from The Flash, who I'm really not familiar with, but I'm extremely impressed with his playing, plays drums on Nights and Reprise. 
Um, and a flash in the pan drummer. Most of you for not into <laughs> drumming probably what haven't heard of this guy. Um, Phil Collins <laughs> plays drums on four, five, eight, and nine. And um, wait, he drums? He does more he, than just sing? He, <laughs> I hate when people say that. The average yeah. <laughs> music fan that didn't know anything about that history of him. Amazing drummer, and it really shows here, almost like what he might have done on Brand X is in um, that piece or those pieces. So having said all that, three things I was very impressed with. There are songs where Peter Banks' guitar sound sounds exactly like the same tones and, and picking style and everything of the first two Yes albums. I love that. And there are some songs that, to me, sound like they absolutely could have been Yes songs, and I wonder if they ever were brought up and denied or something like that, or never written for Yes, but he never... For You know, there's some songs that are absolutely like that. However, there are two or three songs that are very ethereal, where he's doing a lot of classical stuff like Steve Hackett would have done, um, the, the volume pedal on the electric guitar like Steve Howe had done, and there's one song, darn it, I'm trying to remember what it is. Steve, maybe you'll know. There's one song where I absolutely hear the riff to Roundabout. Yeah, you, that was right? on, yeah, I think that might have been on the White House yes. veil. It, it had that same do, 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 do. And it's yeah. like, I wonder, wow, what did he, was this like a subconscious thing? Like, how did this happen? Or or did you know? that come out of a jam when he was in Yes, and they remembered it and oh. implemented it with Steve? Who knows? Right? Oh, I, it, it could have been yeah, one I of those. Yeah, I didn't consider that. Yeah, their own Easter egg, if you will, you know? Yeah. Because it's uh, only, uh, you know, two albums later from when Peter was in, and right. someone had tapes. Yeah, we're working on a new album. Let me go listen to some stuff. You bring some ideas. Who knows? But it's very clear that it is that riff that's the main. Dun, dun, gun, 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 gun. Okay, so it's not just me. I was wondering if you would notice that. I as did well. a double take and put it back. <laughs> yeah, it was that. You know, I'm here working away, getting ready. All of a sudden, I heard that. Went, wait, what? Hello, what? It was that prevalent. It's not your imagination. Yeah, and I agree. There are moments where it sounds like the first couple albums. There are moments where he sounds similar to Steve Howe. And I'd even say he sounds similar to Trevor Rabin at certain points, particularly in, um, I think it might have been in Beyond the Loneliest Sea. I was kind of getting like some Solly's Beard vibes. And also, um, it also kind of reminded me of what would be in like the opening keyboard part of Awaken later on. Like, it was like, oh, that's doo, interesting. Doo, 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 but on guitar. But, but is that him or could that be Jan Ackerman who also played on that track? We, we don't know, but still. Oh, right. Yeah, good point. It's still Peter's piece. So I still, you know, give the same nod. But it would be interesting to know that. Um, another surprise to me is. Uh, is How do it I Peter, Peter doing like synths and piano and stuff? That and also that there's some wildly esoterically progressive stuff on here. So it makes me wonder what was the musical difference that caused him to leave? If if this type of music is on this album, what I, it makes me wonder what really was the disconnect um, 
because it, it there's some really really neat stuff on here that is not it's in true classic prog that you don't want to dance to it or you'll throw your hip out or something you know <laughs> right yeah i vaguely remember reading somewhere that part of it might have had to do with really long guitar solos from him like i, I know that was a thing he would do in the early days i don't know if that was the main reason for the differences. And they uh, were more I, jam oriented back then, more improvisation, which is what was going on around there. Zeppelin did it live right. like that, you know, so I don't know. It's yeah, it's a weird well, like, like we know that Peter loved improvisation. So did Bill Bruford and he loved jazz. Um, yeah. And it, he has a new box set coming out, making a song and dance uh, from Bernie Shedd. So Check. I'm sure people have heard of that. But yeah. and, and I might as well mention um, this. We're waiting to hear back from him on what day he's selected to be on Drum Talk TV. And Steve is going to join me in that interview and we will pipe it through Yes Shift as well. So it's going to be kind of a combination of, of both things. And we're just waiting to hear back from Bill. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, it, sh it should come together. But yeah, and with Tony... Um, like we've said, he wanted to go in a more blues rock direction. So I really get the vibe that in those first few years, John and Chris were really particular about what they wanted and wanted to get musicians who were more willing to go or had like similar, um, what's the word, um, sensibilities of how they wanted to do music, which is why you got like people like Steve and Rick in the fold. Um, and uh, of course, Peter and Tony were also not very happy with the orchestra on time and a word, uh, which uh, I mean, it's kind of weird to me because when I listen to time and a word, I'm able to hear them well enough. And I also love the orchestral arrangements, but from their point of view, they don't feel like their instruments are represented well enough on that album it seems interesting um, but on, on this album two sides of peter banks there are moments uh, like on stop that where i feel like bits of it could fit really well on something like relayer which came out a year after this oh that's interesting yeah i agree um battles is one of my favorites um oh yeah it opens with like phil drumming it's yeah so good <laughs> yeah it's really cool um, I have a grand favorite, but we don't have to get to that quite yet. And uh, Robert Heckman corrected me. I forgot it's not Jan Ackerman. It's Jan. <laughs> oh, Sorry, <okay>. Jan. <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't was also, familiar with the pronunciation either. So thanks for that. Yeah, and he was also the original um, guitar player from the band Focus, which is cool fact. I forgot about that as well. Oh, the choice right, of yeah. being a senior citizen. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, so I have more thoughts on a couple of these other tracks. Um, let me just look at these real quick. Um, so I feel like when listening to The White House Veil, I wasn't really sure where the division was between these two parts that are listed. Whereas on Nights, I feel like I maybe have an idea of where it was. It was when there was like an abrupt stop of one riff and another began and it was yeah. like totally different. Um, and yeah, beyond the loneliest sea, it, it ends with this. You can hear like 
uh, someone saying someone say something and then another voice saying, I think this one's better. So I don't know if that was like a mic check thing or what. It, it, or... I think it was probably referring to a take either of the whole song or guitar solo or something like that. Okay. I know that the previous time I listened to this album, I thought that that speaking like those voices were to signal, oh, we're going from side A to side B, like side A was oh. good, side B is better, but I was wrong. This song is the beginning oh, of side B. That's interesting. Already. Who produced this? Um, let me see if I can find And while you that. look that up, I want to make a comment. I think it just occurred to me why this flew so low under the radar back then. Um, I I think possibly, and for all I know, for all we know, in the UK and Europe, it did huge. I don't know. But this is all instrumental, folks. And even though some right. of the albums that we mentioned at the time, especially Passion Play, have long instrumental parts, I think this was still kind of different um, at the time. So that might have something to do with it. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Peter is credited as the producer. Really? Wow. Well, that's impressive because there's yeah. some diverse music on here, yet the album is very cohesive. Um, and there's some beautiful music on here. Some of these more ethereal uh, compositions are beautiful. And then there's some hard, like I said before, some hardcore syncopated uh, prog stuff going on with that old school sound that I mentioned, which is really cool. It's very representative of the time. I can't believe that I've never known about this. Yeah, and the the closing track, Get Out of My Fridge, <laughs> it, it has, well, first of all, the title automatically makes me think of, you know, the fourth Indiana Jones movie when he gets in the fridge, you know, that scene that yeah. everyone hates. Yeah. Um, like, it just makes me think of Peter opening it and telling him to get out. But <laughs> Is it that uh, or is it the cat or is it a guest or? Or the ghost from Ghostbusters. Yeah, um, or bad cheese. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that song, when when I listen to it, it has kind of an Obladi, Oblada feel. Uh, to me, you know, the Beatles song, like it has that sort of whimsical, bouncy feel to it, I feel. Yeah. And folks, just so you know, the reason why we're not playing a bunch of this while we're talking is because it is an officially released album. And if the Facebook algorithm hears it, it'll recognize it and mute it and mute the show and sometimes pull it down. So we're just not taking any chances. Sometimes we do play music on the show, but we play bootleg versions. I don't know if there's even any live versions of this. I don't know if he toured the album or if, do you have any idea, Steve, of the history of that? Did he tour this? What did he do next? Any ideas? Um, I'm not sure if he toured this album, but yeah, it was hard for me to find something on like YouTube, like right away. So I don't know. Um, but what's interesting is, um, well, okay. So, um, uh, right before this show, I found this interview on marquee, the And it has like a few things that are relevant to our discussion regarding like the musicians who are on here. Like, you know, this has people from flash and also, you know, people from Genesis and, and this, I'll put this interview in the comments um, real quick. Uh, but 
Yeah, so I'll, I'll go ahead and read like the portion that I thought was in- interesting. Um, so Peter was asked about, you know, knowing Phil and all those people. He's like, I- I'd seen Phil Collins at the marquee, of course. He played there with Genesis, and of course he used to come and see Yes playing, and I met Phil. The first time I met him was probably at the marquee. But I remember he used to come round at my flat, and certainly he would, we would hang out together. Wow. He used to sleep on my sofa, so we knew each other, and I knew Phil's girlfriend at the time. Um, and here's another thing that I'm not sure that I was aware of before, but apparently Peter Banks was considered as a potential replacement for Anthony Phillips. So huh. that would have been within the first half of 1970 because i know peter left yes in april and anthony was having issues like early in that year and eventually left in june and peter uh, so, was a candidate to replace him in genesis right so uh, what what he says in this interview is um so he's asked about it, he says yeah i think he might have but i can't remember when and steve hackett Tony Stratton Smith, who was running a record company called Charisma Label Records, they were looking for a new guitar player, and I think I mentioned Steve Hackett to Phil Collins or Peter Gabriel. I can't remember. Uh, so he was like, I know this guy is the best. Um, and he continues, but I think somebody said I could do it if I wanted to, and I said no, because Yes was certainly a better band at the time, so I don't know. Um, Interesting. And, yeah, and uh, the interviewer also asked, and you also offered Phil Collins to join your band Flash, isn't it? And he says, I asked Phil, yeah, this is true. So just think about it. Genesis, we're going through some changes, and Phil told me about it. Flash and Genesis, the road crew used to hang together along, and often Genesis would borrow Flash's PA system because we had an enormous PA system, exactly <laughs> the same kind of system that King Crimson had. And it was a very big, sophisticated setup. And actually, when Flash wasn't gigging, we would find that Genesis was using some of that crew and some of that equipment, too. Um, That was fine. And I remember Phil wouldn't be too happy because Peter Gabriel was not happy with the band and he was thinking of leaving. And at the time with Flash, I think we'd done a couple of American shows with the band. We had a couple of problems with Michael Huff. The tempo wasn't particularly comfortable, and during one flash session, Phil had to come down to the studio and tune up Michael's kit. I think it was at AdVision, actually. That was nice of Phil, very kind of Phil, to do that. AdVision Studios, yeah. Oh, yeah, AdVision. He was always very easygoing about that. We did everything we could. We just couldn't get a proper sound to the bass drum, particularly sounding horrible. And Phil came along and helped tuning up, and 10 minutes later, it was sounding fine. And I almost then I thought, it might sound awful, but I wish you were playing drums there too. Anyway, I was firstly thinking maybe Mike would have to go, and I was not happy about that at all. But I thought it would be interesting, so I was telling Phil all the problems I'd have with Flash, and he'd talk about the problems he had with Genesis. And I think about two weeks later, he said, no, everything is fine. That was a fine change. I even regret it now. <laughs> How interesting. I had no idea. That That is so cool. And I'm trying to share this to my page, but I can't 
my personal page, but I can't seem to make it so it recognizes me as the one sharing this. So we'll do it after. Uh, that's really interesting. I never knew. And it makes you wonder how much stuff we've all read and heard stories through the years with interviews and things like that. How much do we not know that we'll never know that are really neat anecdotes like that? Like that was great. I loved that story. Yeah. It's, it's funny because we hear all these stories about some of these prog rock members almost being in these other prog rock bands like yeah. Steve Howe with Jethro Tull. Um, I think Phil Collins was even considered for yes when Bill was leaving. Really? Um, I think so. Like it, it's all these like weird like what if situations that yeah. just really make you think like what if Peter Banks had become the guitarist instead of Steve Hackett like what what how would that have yeah that would have changed a lot of things I'm sure uh, I can't imagine that period of Genesis without Hackett I mean such a signature sound in his right. writing style you know it's like I can't even get my head around that <laughs> and I don't want to <laughs> so right. do you have a favorite track or or more than one that you favor Steve uh, so it's been really tough choosing. Like, I know that Stop That has lots of elements like that. Some of that progginess and that chaos that I love hearing. But I also enjoyed some of what I heard in, you, you know, I enjoy all these songs, but I was really loving Battles, particularly because of the drumming and whatnot. Um, and the White House Veil is really great, too. So... Yeah, it's really tough for me to choose one, but what about you? Uh, same. I'd say I love the White House Veil. I love Knights, uh, the Falcon and the Bear. I love Battles and um, Stop That. Um, the, uh, there's some. It is hard to choose. There's some really good stuff here, and I feel bad that this flew under the radar so much for so long. And I'm not taking the attitude that, well, if I didn't know about it, no one did. But I know that not many people that should know about this because in my 59 years, it's never come up uh, in my musical circles amongst professionals, amongst growing up when I was playing and you know just all that stuff. Uh, so it, it's a shame because this is a great album and I wish that it had got more recognition when he was around to receive it you know yeah uh, on peterbanks.net they have this little paragraph from rolling stone uh reviewing the album um so it says banks has produced an album that is so totally above the mainstream of rock that it achieves a kind of cosmic quality his his is music of the future classically influenced yet so progressively advanced as to broaden the horizons of the listeners concentrations capacities his credentials include a two-year apprenticeship with yes and a present residency with flash revered as a guitarist of much depth and substance his first solo effort proves a resounding delight and for best cuts uh, they list battles get out of my fridge and beyond the lonely sea um and for uh dealers uh, it says should be displayed with flash's three albums and yeah i, I think this fits pretty well with the what i've heard from flash like it's 
definitely very much Peter in those albums. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who have not heard it, when we say that there are reflections of the work he did with Thoroughly Yes, um, you can hear, in my opinion, no offense to Steve Howe, one of my favorite musicians ever, one of my two favorite guitarists, you can hear, when you listen to this, you can hear Peter's playing on work that he was not on with Yes. I hear a bit of Yours Is No Disgrace, and I hear a bit of Perpetual Change, that style, like I said, that picking style, and just there, there's definitely shades of him in Yes After Peter. Would you agree? Yeah, there's definitely shades of that. I agree. And I think um, that answers the other question that, that you had on our notes, which is how might working with Yes and perhaps Flash have influenced Peter's approach on this album. And I'm wondering if it's almost the opposite, Steve, like I'm wondering if this does encapsulate him, but we heard him on yes first. Yeah. The way I was thinking of my answer to this is maybe working with yes, gave him an idea of what for doing. So what he did with this album and with flash is kind of reacting sort of opposite of yes like there's definitely still some yes-ish sounds in there but i feel like with yes maybe he wasn't allowed to color outside the lines as much or he wouldn't have been able to had he remained whereas here that makes he sense being that close to the wants. edge is so straight ahead forward <laughs> <laughs> no you're you make a good point and uh the interesting thing about that also is like i said those songs where he's doing things on this album that he, to my recollection right now, correct me if I'm wrong, and you always do, <laughs> is that he's doing stuff on this album that he didn't do on Yes, and I refer again back to the volume pedal work that Steve did in Yes. So mm -hmm. I'm wondering if that influenced him or if it just came naturally because that device was getting popular. I don't know. It's all speculation, yeah. you know. Yeah, maybe. Is and anyone watching who has heard this before that has some input? I'd I'd love to know. Like, are Steve and I just on another planet with this, or <laughs> does, do do others agree? Um, right. I, I see a couple comments from Robert Heckman that I don't think we've read yet. Yeah, so Robert see. says, "Go ahead, to, go ahead." To come full circle, focus his last two albums have cover art by Roger Dean. Um, he also says, I have the first two Flash albums on vinyl around here somewhere. I had the first on 8-track. Um, and it's a little, like wow. laughing what, with what's tears. What's an 8-track? <laughs> yeah, I think it's one more than a 7-track or something. <laughs> it's like as thick as two waffles. <laughs> right, but yeah, uh, going back to the favorite tracks thing, like like I said, I had difficulty picking out one absolute favorite which is why it was also difficult for me to decide whether there's a side of this album that i prefer like i think the previous time i listened to it i thought to myself oh yeah the second side is definitely what i prefer but now listening to it again it's like the difference is like ever so slight like i don't know if 
there's one I favor a lot more than the other. It's like even tougher now upon this more yeah. recent lesson. And for me hearing it for the first time, you know, like what, an hour and a half ago or whatever, I would need to listen to this a few times, but I just thought of something. Yeah. This would be a fun show, a, a new idea. Uh, I'll just throw it out right here that we can play music and just talk over it. But what would be and put a Spotify or YouTube playlist together or something like that where people can access it when we're done with this series, which is one solo album from each Yes member that they made after they were in Yes. They could have still been in Yes, but it's not a solo album from before they were in Yes. So when we finish that series, how cool would it be to pick one track from each album and put a playlist together? Yeah, that'd be really cool. That'd be um, interesting. Yeah, could definitely find these on YouTube, I think. And yeah, yeah I, I think Yes have, um, like, you know, there's so many musicians with different styles. So it would be cool to have a sort of collection that is very eclectic, but showcases each of them. That would be really cool. We could do that. Yep. That'd be fun. Cool. Yeah. Um, so just looking at this again, um, I feel like we already touched upon this question, like how close does it sound to the Yes albums he was on and just Yes in general, right? Yeah. There, there's a really good mix uh, if you go back to the early stuff, even the first couple albums that Steve was on with without Peter, there's some reflections in there, which tells me he had more of an influence on the music than just being just playing guitar and writing the guitar parts, you know? Um, and I think it's really important. I know this sounds corny and even cliche and obvious and almost a platitude, but without Peter Banks, there wouldn't be yes. Just I mean, as, he, he came up with the name. <laughs> yeah, well, that too, you know, but honestly, just the same that without John or Chris or Bill or Tony, there wouldn't be yes. And it's, it's sometimes hard for people to see that because they're used to decades of John and Chris. So it's hard for them to kind of get their head around just the germination point of the first two albums. There wouldn't be yes without that because they, even though there were changes, they followed that same spirit. And I, I say again, I submit that that is proof in the two albums after Peter left where there's still traces of that first band that he had a lot to do with the sound, which is obvious by listening to this album now. Does that make sense, everyone? Carry the four, divide by pi, it's easy math. <laughs> yeah, just a few days after pi day, yeah. That's right. Uh, yeah, I totally get what you mean. Um, here's a question that like, I doesn't really need a definitive answer, but it came to mind. So we've listened to very recently Six Wives and now Two Sides of Peter Banks. and. You know, I, I have to preface this question by saying, like, just because one sounds more like yes doesn't mean that this member m is yes or makes the band more yes. So, or like, none of that. This is, I agree. Yeah, like, this is just a curiosity of perspective. So, between Six Wives of Henry VIII and Two Sides of Peter Banks, which one do you think is more reminiscent of the yes era that? they contributed in prior and which one do you think sounds more like yes in general like if you take all of yes's discography and mash it into one 
mashed potato plate or something. That was wow, a weird what analogy. a question. <laughs> That's a great question, Steve. I'd say intelligence skips a generation, by the way, folks. He got it. <laughs> I'd say Peter. I'd say Peter. Oh, wow. Yeah, I think Peter's music in a lot of ways is more reflective on yes and vice versa. Whereas Rick's, you know, you hear the sounds of the mini Moog and the Mellotron and stuff, but his playing is what I would call much more old English, you know, much more Renaissance slash medieval sounding those types of scales and progressions. Whereas Peter's that early prog rock and roll, um, um, the the jam sessions and the improvisation and that guitar tone. I really think it's more Peter, believe it or not. Wow. Yeah, that's kind of surprising. <laughs> I think I have a bit of the opposite perspective. Like, there definitely have traces of Yes in their albums, but to me, I feel like Six Wives feels more like fragile and close to the edge, like in terms of the overall sound and also just what I think of when I think of Yes in general. And I guess it also helps that a few other Yes members are on, are it, on but, it. Yeah. But right. also yeah. the thing missing from that question, which is perfectly okay, is whether or not to consider time context. And right. even if we consider time context, I, if I close my eyes and listen to either of those albums, I see early yes playing Peter's music more than I do the the period of Rick's yes playing that album of his be, for the reasons I said it's more old British old English folklore medieval slash run I hope that makes sense and it doesn't mean you have to agree but I just hope it makes sense Yeah I'm curious like what other people might think of this but yeah it's Really, really cool. <laughs> now we haven't um, covered it yet, but I'll throw this out there since you brought it up. Right off the top of my head, Steve Howe's beginnings and Chris Squire's "Fish Out of Water" off the top of my head are the two Yes member solo albums that sound more most like Yes. With your question. oh wow, but we'll get deeper into that when we go through those albums. By the way, which album is next? Uh, yeah, so I guess we can go ahead and talk about that period. So the next one is Steve Howe's Beginnings. Um, so it's kind of funny, like we did Tony Kay and then Rick Wakeman. So like, you know, the successor on keyboards and now we're doing Peter's successor on guitar. It's kind of yeah. weird how that happened. But yeah, I, I think with the 1975 to 76 soul albums, we'll go in release order because okay. it makes things easier that way like with the recording times there's probably some overlap but but release makes sense and there, there's a good contextual element to that yeah okay. yeah and i feel like with our scheduling it'll, it'll also be very fitting like we've talked about how steve house beginnings would be cool to do for his 75th birthday in april and it's an album from 75 so it's fitting um yeah. We could probably do Fish Out of Water in May. And then in June, I'm thinking we could do... Do do we need to spread them out that much? You don't want to do them in consecutive episodes other than news desk reports? Well, well, here... It's like we, we're having a behind-the-curtain discussion right here. Out. Well, I was about to say why. So okay. 
Um, in June, we have Alan White and Patrick Mraz's birthdays. Uh, so, which is why I think it'd be fitting to do Ramshackled and then Story of I okay. when those come around. And then we could do Elias of Sun Hillo in July and then see where we go from there. Okay. Because um, we have other topic ideas we want to talk about. Yeah. And I think it will be cool to just like break it up. Yeah, like have okay. stuff in between so there's variety. Um, cool. Even though That's there's funny. like already variety with this, I guess. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so much like uh, Steve, how uh, Peter didn't have any solo albums released in the 80s. It wasn't until the 90s that he had more released. And this was actually his only one up until like 1994. What did he do in the meantime? I'm embarrassed. I don't know the answer to that. Well, I, I know he kept doing Flash for a bit, but in the 80s, it's kind of a mystery to me. I only see one credit for him from the 80s where I'm looking. It was on Tonio K. Uh, it's not Tony K, some singer named Tonio K. Uh, had an album called Romeo Unchained, which apparently Peter was on. That came out 1986, according to what I'm looking. So, so there's such yeah, a big gap. I, yeah, what if he like was I, out of I'm, music for a while, or did commercial jingles or something. Yeah, maybe. I, I'd be curious to hear from someone who might know. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let us know, folks. And on that note, you can comment on our posts where comments are enabled. If you're following us on the Yes Shift Facebook page or on Anchor.fm/slash Yes Shift is the audio versions, or you can email us at Yes Shift Podcast at gmail.com questions, comments, chime in on these things, and we'll even take suggestions for shows. We've done probably 20% of our shows have been suggestions by fans. So it's let us know. Yeah. And, um, oh, real quick, I see a comment from Milt Surratt who says, I had zero idea that Peter Banks was even in Yes, and I consider myself a music file. Damn. Um, and it looks like they're more familiar with the Steve Howe uh, iterations of Yes. So... Interesting. Yeah, it's cool to when, like, I don't know how deep everyone is in Yes, so it's always cool when we're able to present people with info they weren't aware of and sort of discover, like, other musicians have been in the band. Yeah, um, absolutely. But, yeah, you can email us at yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com with those suggestions if you have them and some feedback, your hate mail. Um <laughs> Yeah, and um, yeah, and Dad, you also have your Carl Palmer tribute tomorrow, yeah. right? You want to put that real quick? Oh my gosh, that's tomorrow! Holy bleep! So Carl Palmer's birthday is the twentieth, but I'm out of town, busy on some personal time off, and Keith Emerson's passing uh, anniversary was a few days ago. So tomorrow, the eighteenth, on Drum Talk TV at 2.30 Pacific, 5.30 Eastern U.S. times. I'm going to do a live broadcast from my studio and uh, pay tribute to Carl Palmer and Keith and, yeah. and Greg ultimately as well. I'm going to play a bunch of Emerson, Lake and Palmer music. Uh, I'm a drummer, for those of you who don't know. And I'm also going to play a bunch of Asian music. I have a few things picked out in my head. Oh, I got to give you that list after this, Steve. <laughs> and, and I'll also take suggestions and there's nothing out of bounds as long as it's something I'm familiar with. And I'm familiar with most of the music that Carl did with Asia and with um, 
Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. And yes, I will be doing Carnival 9, not the chopped in half a bridge version where they just start for this, from the second half. I'll be playing it. Um, I'll probably play Tarkus as well, all the way up until um, like two thirds into the song. Um, yeah, I, I got some stuff, but I'm, I'm totally open to uh, suggestions. Yeah, that's really cool. And that'll be on Drum Talk TV. So on Facebook. Yeah. Can, yep. yeah. And um, also just today, I, I saw that uh, Burning Shed is going to be releasing uh, in June this Asia in Asia re-release. It's the audio of the show with, with Greg. Um, Gr- yeah, with Greg. I remember and, when that was on TV. Yeah. I don't know why it's just the audio remastered and not also DVD. But, I wonder... Uh, it might have to do with rights or something, but maybe, but, but apparently it comes with an exclusive signed Roger Dean postcard. So, but here's the bigger really question. Cool. Yeah. Why? <laughs> no, really? Why? Like why that show? <laughs> yeah. Because they're releasing this thing with like 50 shows or something. Right. So why right. <laughs> is this one standalone outside, let alone being re-released at all? Nothing against the show, but Greg wasn't part of the band other than that show. So no disrespect to Greg Lake. I'm just saying, what's the why in this? I mean, it it has a nice new cover, I guess. Maybe that's why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I totally get what you mean. It's kind of out of left field. (laughs) To say the least. I mean, it was a last minute switch. It was a one-off show. It's cool that Roger has some new artwork. I love that. But I, it, it's just that to me, that's like boggling me. Like I'm short circuiting, trying to figure out why. I guess it's a collector thing. It only did happen that once. So that's that's neat. I get that. But you're right, especially without the visual. Who's going to. Oh, I don't want to disrespect. Never mind. That, I think that's great. <laughs> Right. Yeah. We'll we'll see. You totally what... caught me off guard with that. Wow. I didn't. <laughs> I didn't know. Yeah. I guess we'll see what people's reactions are when it comes out. But yeah. So lots of stuff going on. Uh, we got Oliver Wakeman gonna be on the show on March twenty sixth at noon Pacific time, three so... Eastern. Yep. And like yeah. I said earlier, we're waiting to hear back from Bill Bruford. I sent him some adjusted times that fit his time zone a little bit better. Um, and Alan White, uh, Gigi got back to me probably late spring. He's going to be on and we're working on some others as well. Yeah. So we got a lot of cool stuff in the works and yeah. And happy St. Patrick's day to anyone who celebrates. Um, I know we didn't talk about Celtic music. I know John has an, a whole album of that, the promise ring, but yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll talk about that at some point. Um, I don't want to make any promises about the promise <laughs> ring. Uh, that's kind of funny. But um, I, I don't know. <laughs> also, um, I had a thought. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it back. It was... Um, uh, oh, I forgot. Was it about Irish music or? It, it might have been. Uh, there's a bunch of Irish music, Celtic drumming and stuff on the Drum Talk TV page from today. But it was something else related to something coming up. Oh, the, oh uh, yeah. Pa, 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 pa. 
I'm not gonna, I can't give anything away yet, but you definitely want to watch our live broadcast April 1st. It's right around the corner. We'll promote it in a mysterious way so you know what time it is, but we have kind of a surprise and that's all I'll say. Okay, yeah. And uh, before we close off, Robert Heckman has one last comment. Since I will be aboard Cruise to the Edge in six weeks, could I send you a post-cruise review of the band and shows? And the answer is yes, that'd be really cool. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very curious about that. Yeah, and if there's anything you want to send us uh, from the cruise, such as video clips or anything like that, you can kind of be our remote correspondent if you like. That would be cool. Yeah, so yeah, lots of stuff going on. And yeah, this was really fun to talk about just Peter Banks, his first solo album and all this other stuff. Yeah, newly discovered music for me from decades ago, from almost 40 years ago. 40? 50? 50? Wow. Yeah, it'll be 50 next year. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Molder than I thought. (laughs) Um, I I guess that's all I got. Yeah, I'll leave it at that. All right. Yeah. So thanks for tuning in, everyone. Absolutely. It was fun. See you next time. Thanks, everybody. Talk soon and go out and get this album. It is so good. And, you know, I just want to close with some music from it and say that there are some flashes of where I can imagine Peter saying, play that part like Bill Bruford would have played it. (laughs) Right. Did you notice that, Steve? Yeah, yeah. Um, there's definitely a Bill Burford flavor to it. Yeah, yeah. And here's uh, just a little snippet of "Stop That." If you want to sell oh, but online not the courses commercial. and coaching, yeah, to we're going to skip the commercial coming up. You don't hear the guy talking about the court. Here we go. A little bit of "Stop That." To me, that sounds like Bill, and it sounds like it could be very early. Yes, I could totally hear this on a Yes album. It's the second to last track, folks. Yeah, like All right, folks. It's a bit could be King Crimson. Yeah, King Crimson as well. Absolutely. All right, folks. See you soon. Thanks.